This is the Big Pond. It was the best day of my career. This is what German journalist Francis Schönberger says about a day in March of 1975. It was a day she spent with John Lennon. The audio she recorded that day has never been published. Francis never listened to it until she did for this story. I don't know how that works. Ah, oh, there we go. There we go. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Frances Schönberger tries to get her CD player to start. She is sitting in the sunny living room in her hillside home overlooking the city of Los Angeles. She has interviewed every musician, filmmaker and actor making headlines in the last 50 years, from Alfred Hitchcock to Frank Zappa. She is still an active reporter and member of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which awards the Golden Globes every year. Now she wants to listen to an interview she did on March 28, 1975, with musical icon John Lennon. At the time of the interview, Schönberger was 30 years old. She worked as rock and roll and Hollywood reporter for the German magazine Bravo. She grew up in a tiny Catholic village in Bavaria, left home when she was 13, and a few years later worked as assistant to a famous German journalist in Munich. Frances Schönberger created her life in the United States from scratch. In 1975, she had already interviewed a lot of celebrities for German magazines and newspapers. John Lennon was on her list for a long time. From the Beatles, John Lennon interested me the most because he had these mother issues and he was more rebellious and... Uh, I loved his music the best. I was just so curious and I kept writing and writing and writing letters, asking for an interview. The encounter with John Lennon turned out to be so special that Frances Schönberger never listened to the tape, afraid that what she would hear might not live up to her memories or have a negative impact on them. She is nervous. Never listened. Only when I transcribed the interview. Well, I had somebody else transcribe it. Yeah, I never listened to it again. I guess I will be able to handle it. Can you imagine? That's 40 years later, right? March 1975. John Lennon is back in New York and reunited with Yoko Ono after spending 18 months in Los Angeles. On the West Coast, he made headlines for partying excessively in Hollywood clubs. There were stories about dramatic scenes during recording sessions with producer Phil Spector. His relationship with May Pang, his and Yoko Ono's former secretary, was fodder for gossip magazines all over the world. It was a relationship Ono had initiated. On top of that, the ex-Beatle is in a legal fight with the United States over getting a green card. The government threatens to deport him because he overstayed his visa. He has a number one hit on the charts with Elton John, whatever gets you through the night. At the same time, Frances Schönberger lives on the other side of the continent in Los Angeles, sending stories from Hollywood to Germany. In March, she goes back to New York, where her U.S. reporting career started. She stays in a hotel preparing interviews. The opportunity to meet John Lennon comes out of nowhere. I think I were there to interview Jane Fonda and somebody else, and then... The photographer Bob Grün, he was a rock and roll photographer I used to work with, and he was basically John Lennon's photographer. 
And uh, then he said he's going to do it. And I was like shocked. She immediately gets a different hotel room, bigger and with a view on Central Park. She knows that photographer Bob Green will need good shots. For her client, the German pop magazine, pictures will be more important than her writing. The editors are not half as excited about the chance to interview John Lennon as she is. The Beatles had split up five years ago. Lennon's career has hit a plateau. The magazine is more interested in stories about David Cassidy and Alice Cooper, ABBA and the Bay City Rollers. I think at that time they, they weren't that impressed. <laughs> It was for Bravo and Bravo at that time was for teenagers. So it, this interview, I think we got so much deeper, which was not of any interest to Bravo readers. So I had to just pick the usual stuff. When she gets the news that John Lennon will come to her hotel room, the journalist has no idea yet how deep the conversation will go. But she is determined to make the most of this opportunity. She gets prepared. The recorder is set with 90 minutes of tape. She has extra batteries, a notebook, pens and many questions. And then I was sitting in my room waiting for John Lennon all by myself. And suddenly somebody knocked on the door and he was whistling... And he came all by himself. No bodyguard, no press agent, nobody, just him. So it was only him and me in my hotel room. And then he came in and he looked out the window and started to even speak a little bit of German, dirty German. And he was in an amazingly good mood. And of course, I was very nervous, but I relaxed very quickly because he made me forget that it's John Lennon. I felt just very comfortable with him. That he walked New York and he came to my hotel room. I didn't have to come down, he came up to see me. It's pretty cool, yeah. Schönberger brings a black and white photograph from her office to the living room. Bob Grün gave it to her. The picture shows the reporter sitting on the bed talking with John Lennon. She wears dark bell buttons, a sweater with a camel cigarette logo and picture on the front, her hair styled in a shoulder-length perm. She looks directly at John Lennon, smiling, curious. The recorder between them on the bed is not running. No, I didn't tape in the hotel room <laughs> when he spoke German and all this. No, I think it was my instinct. I wanted to make them feel comfortable so you don't tape everything. You establish some sort of trust so they can see I'm not greedy. I think I did that on purpose. And then you say, okay, now we start the official interview, and now this is on tape. In the picture, Lennon leans towards her, looking right into her eyes. He wears a light-colored three-piece suit with matching scarf, a flat hat, and his signature round-rimmed glasses. So Bob Grün told me that we would drive up to Yonkers and that there's a park, and while we are in the car, I can do the interview and then continue. When Grün arrives at the hotel, he takes a few pictures in the room. Then he tells everybody to go downstairs and be ready for the ride to the park. Schönberger is shocked when she sees Grün's Toyota station wagon. It is small and the photographer has not bothered to clean it up. And his car was so messy. I was so embarrassed and I was sitting in the back seat. It was just a tiny car and I held my tape recorder. She starts recording. Yeah. Well, right. okay. well, do you know what you can ask? Well, I know, what see, I, know, I know what I have been reading, and uh, the latest I know is that you are suing them. Yeah, John Lennon versus the U.S. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's great, isn't it? <laughs> well, 
Now, more than 40 years later, Frances Schoenberger listens to her 30-year-old self riding in a car with John Lennon, the windows open, driving through Manhattan on a bumpy road for the first time. The interview starts with a topic that is in the news in 1975, Lennon's legal fight with the U.S. government about getting a green card. Why, John, uh, John, why do you want to live in New York now? Why uh, are the States? Do because you? it's more fun here, you know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I only decided to live here after I'd moved here. I didn't, yeah. I didn't leave England with the intention. Mm. I, I left everything in England. I didn't even mm. bring any clothes hardly. Mm. I just came for a visit and stayed. I like it here. I mean, you're here, right? You I like, like it, it here. right? I like Is it anywhere here, better? No? no, because I also like the American people. You know, it's yeah, I like, do. Look, I, I, I like them. I really feel good here, and I would like. I also want my green card because I don't want to be kicked out. You know. Me too. The young journalist comes straight to the point of accusations against Lennon. And do they still the reason why they don't give you the green card is it still the marijuana charge or could you prove no, that it's... No, well, uh, they, they started off saying it was the marijuana yeah, charge right. and then they dropped that mm -hmm. and now it's they're saying it's it's simply because I overstayed. Oh my goodness. You know, it is, mm -hmm. It's bullshit. I mean, this is so ridiculous that uh, why they wouldn't want you here, you know? Why do you well, think uh, they, um, they still make it so difficult? She asks about other British stars living in the United States, David Bowie and Elton John. What does Elton John do? He's here most of the time too. Yeah, but Elton and, uh, John's got a clean image for a yeah, kickoff. Yeah, I see, right. Mm. Uh, David's image, they probably haven't realized what it is yet. It takes mm. them a bit of time for them mm. to sink in what's going on, right? So Bowie, they probably just think is you know, something from the circus. And, mm -hmm. Frances Schoenberger stops the CD a few minutes into the recording. She's more relaxed now and surprised. What a soft little voice I had. I, I don't recognize my voice, but um, I feel comfortable listening to this young woman. It's a young woman uh, called Frances Schoenberger, but uh, so far I think I'm doing a good job. I let him talk. I don't touch any personal issues yet. We talk about the green card and why they want to kick him out, you know. So I think it's a good beginning just to feel him, how, you, how far you can go. She's now very curious about the rest of the interview and starts the CD again. What kind of a life, what I'm fascinated is what kind of a life you live in New York because it doesn't... Her questions become more personal fast. Lennon talks about his lifestyle now and in the past. He remembers buying lots of stuff when he first made money with the Beatles, like lots of cars, even though he wasn't even into cars. He tells Schoenberger about living in a big house with huge grounds in England, and then in a really small apartment in New York. He talks about collaborating with other musicians, about helping each other out during recordings, and about walking the streets of New York without people bothering him, which he enjoys a lot after the crazy Beatles years. When Schoenberger asks him about his money, he says that it is just sitting in the bank because he cannot find any options to invest it without exploiting people. It sounds like he does not need a lot to be happy anymore. Peace and quiet and the piano. You know, I mean, it's all basically yeah. that. Occasionally uh, spurting out to some event just to prove I'm still alive. Listening to the tape, it is obvious that Schoenberger and Lennon become more and more comfortable with each other on the backseat of that messy little station wagon driving through New York. He talks about showing up at the Grammys with Yoko Ono for the first time after their separation, which he calls a failure. 
and he always checks to see the tape is still running, making sure everything he says is recorded. I'm just checking. Me too, I checked this little Oh yeah, hello, hello, hello. Yes. Because it's terrible saying it twice. Schönberger asks him about May Peng, Lennon's and Yoko Ono's personal assistant. The musician had moved to Los Angeles with her in 1973. Ono suggested that May should become his companion and that they should stay on the West Coast for a while when the couple was in a major crisis. The relationship with Peng lasted 18 months. Lennon later referred to that period as the lost weekend. Now, in March 1975, Lennon is back with his wife, and Pang is still their personal secretary. What is the relationship now with May Pang? And how does she handle that now? Uh, she's handling it all right, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know because I'm not yeah. spending hardly any time with right. it. I mean, mm. any time at all, actually. But what can I do about it, you know? Yeah. I mean, she knew what the scene was right. from the start, you mm. know. But I like to hear that, you know, you get together again. Yeah, no, it's, we didn't even plan to get back together. I was just going to visit her. Mm -hmm. And I'd visited her many times before. Mm -hmm. The last time I went, I just never left. It was the same as when Francis Schoenberger, John Lennon and photographer Bob Grun have been in the car now for almost half an hour. They are halfway to their destination, under Meyer Gardens in Yonkers, a park on the Hudson River with meadows, weeping willows, fountains and ruins. Lennon checks the rolling tape again when Schoenberger asks him about his rock and roll album. The musician seems to be eager to tell his version of the production with eccentric producer Phil Spector in Los Angeles. I can't read this writing, you know. What is that tweeting bird out there? Hey, hey, hey. It made a lot of headlines. Reports about musicians being drunk and stoned playing out of tune, about Spector showing up dressed like a surgeon and with a gun, and shooting into the ceiling are in papers all over the world. Lennon explains, it was supposed to be a really fun project where he would just show up to sing rock and roll songs he loves. He wanted to record something fun, he says, nothing deep and personal like most of his own songs, and leave everything else to Spectre, whom he had worked with before. And it was great at first, because there he was being the Phil Spectre that I'd never allowed him to be, in complete control of 28 guys playing live, you know, and, it was, and he was fantastic. But it got madder and madder. I mean, it was just a drunken madhouse. And he ended up with the tapes, and I couldn't get hold of them. Oh, gosh. You know. Lennon describes the maddening details of the production turning into a totally surreal scenario. Eventually, Lennon says he sobered up, became the odd man out in the group of drunk musicians, somehow got the tapes back, realized that it was basically 28 guys playing out of tune and that most of the tracks were totally useless. So I, then I recorded 10 more in, in five days and stuck it all together and there it is. So it started out to be fun and ended up, it ended up fun. The five day sessions were great fun because mm -hmm. we, we all just rocked like we like relaxed. You know? It started out fun, became hell and ended up fun. And that's the story, folks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you didn't expect all that much about no, one record. No, but now I know so many other things I don't need to ask. See? Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. that's good. But um, right now, about your plans. My plans. What's, what's like 75? Stay same? alive in 75. Yeah. That's my motto. Frances Schoenberger stops the CD again. She remembers that after a few minutes into the interview, she did not look at her notebook anymore. 
She just asked questions about topics she was curious about and followed up on things he said. It felt completely natural, she says, to talk with John Lennon about the relationship between him, his wife and May Peng. I don't think I was surprised. It really was like you're talking to a friend, you know. Uh, he made me forget he's John Lennon and he, it was just so human how he explained it. Uh, there was nothing made up. It was just uh, fascinating. And you could see what an amazing human being he is after all this fame, after all this money, how real he is about himself. He doesn't sound like a beetle. He sounds like the human being he is. And that is what my the memory was just stayed with me, you know. How about you as a father? How, how old is your son? He's 11. She starts playing the recording again. The conversation is now about Lennon's relationship with his son Julian. Julian was born in April 1963 in Liverpool during Lennon's first marriage with Cynthia Powell. The musician left the family five years later to be with Yoko Ono. There was almost no communication between father and son until May Pang encouraged them to reunite, with Julian visiting his father regularly. Lennon talks about how he thought he needed to come up with special events during Julian's visits. One of those trips was a trip to Disney World in Florida, which was awful because the place was totally crowded. The musician says it must be hell for Julian to be the son of a rock star and tells Schoenberger about the fun he now has just hanging out in the studio with his son or talking with him about music on the phone. Julian turns him onto groups and musicians he has never heard of, like Freddie Mercury and Queen. I call him and he says, have you heard Queen? I say, no, what is it? He says, oh, they're great. I said, well, I've heard of, um, not Slade, what's that other one? The one with Sweet. No, there's no. one with a guy that looks like Hitler playing the piano, an English oh, group. Yeah. Sparks! Yes. I say, you know, I'm hip, I've seen Sparks on American TV, so I you call said. him and say, hey, have you seen Sparks? He's got Hitler on the piano. <laughs> and anyway, he says, no, uh, they're all right, but have you seen Queen? And I said, no, what's Queen? And then he tells me, right? Lennon also talks about times the Beatles spent in Hamburg in the early 60s. One time his wife Cynthia traveled with them. They all went to a church outside the Reeperbahn and up into its big green tower where they carved their names into the wall. He thinks visitors to that church can still see the words, John loves sin. He talks about living in different places, Liverpool, Hamburg, New York, big estates and small apartments. Lennon briefly mentions the place he and Yoko Ono now live in, the Dakota building on Central Park. This, and this is perfect, it's, you know, it's secure. You know. People can't get in and say, I'm Jesus from Toronto, you know, all that. <laughs> so, which was happening in the other apartment, you know. You just couldn't go out the front door because there'd be something weird at the door. A funny remark at that time, but not looking back, knowing that John Lennon was shot five years after this recording at the Dakota, returning from a recording session with Yoko Ono on December 8th, 1980. John Lennon, ex-Beatle one of the best-known musicians and most influential people of his time, was shot and killed outside his apartment building. This evening, John Lennon arrived at the emergency room at the Roosevelt uh, Hospital. He was dead on, at the time of his arrival. Mark Chapman shot Lennon four times in the back at close range. The musician was pronounced dead at the hospital. Earlier that evening, the two had met. 
Lennon had autographed a copy of the Lennon Ono album Double Fantasy for Chapman. Of course, you, you can get goosebumps when he said this is a safe place and nobody can show up and say I'm Jesus from Toronto. And uh, what I never forget, Bob and I, we dropped him off at the back entrance. And he said to me, now we have to do that every year. And then exactly where we dropped him off, he got shot. So it wasn't a safe place. So that gave me the goosebumps. At the time of the interview, there was no reason to get further into that subject. So Schönberger moved on. Did you ever meet Elvis? Elvis had just turned 40. He started a new show in Las Vegas 10 days earlier. Lennon did see Elvis once, he says. The Beatles went to visit him together at his house. We were all terrified. He was our idol, he remembers. They were surprised to see Elvis sitting in front of a TV. And then he had this TV, I remember, and he had an amplifier and a, and a bass plugged into it, and watching it with the no sound on the TV. And he was playing bass and singing, and we were sort of singing along, but we were really just watching it. <laughs> but I always thought of it from our point of view. I never thought of it from his. Years later, I heard from a friend that he was terrified too. A, because we were the new thing, and B, you know, what was going to happen, you know? And that he'd been prancing around for hours in preparation, thinking of what to say, you know? <laughs> and, and because we were terrified, we worshipped him, you know? It's a strange story, you know? That's it. Listening to the tape today is like getting a peek into a world that does not exist anymore. It is simply impossible for a reporter to get the chance to sit next to a megastar on the backseat of a car, no topic of limits, no time limit, and no press agent anywhere close. Elvis Presley died two years later, and John Lennon was killed. In her interview, Schönberger eventually asks a question that has been on her mind for a while. How does a Beatle write a song? I just feel good now, and I'm, I'm writing well, so mm -hmm. I'm happy. You know? yeah, how do you do that when you write? Um, I'm always interested, you know, do you write when you're in the mood? Or, you know, is your mind always uh, thinking about writing? Or, yeah, always? I'm always at it. Yeah. But the best stuff usually just comes out on impulse or inspiration, right. you know. I mean, that, mm -hmm. it's always the best stuff. Yeah. On a bit of paper, uh -huh. you know, and then yeah. leave it in a sort of pile. And then when it begins to get more interesting, I'll venture onto the typewriter mm -hmm. and type it out. <laughs> yeah, it's usually about the third draft when mm -hmm. I get to the typewriter. But the final version is never until I've recorded it, because I always can change it. But I always change a word or two mm -hmm. at the last minute. You know? Sometimes he would like to have somebody else write the lyrics for him, Lennon says, like Bernie Taupin does for Elton John. Music comes so much easier to him than words. But on the other hand, he admits that would not work well, because he is too egocentric to write music to other people's words. He sometimes would like to write just easy fun songs and disco music, but that also is impossible. I'm too literal to write Rock Your Baby and Ha Ha Woman, you know, I wish I could. I'm too intellectual, even though I'm not really an intellectual. I feel as though I'm a writer, really, you know. Yes. And the music, the music's easy, the music's just all over the place, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't have any problem writing music. Suddenly the recording stops, but the CD is still running. A few seconds later, the sound comes back with totally different background noises. Schönberger, Lennon and Grün are now in a small diner close to the park in Yonkers. 
They sit down at the counter and Lennon again makes sure the tape is running. So it's on. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I have a BLT sandwich, please? Mayonnaise? No mayonnaise, please. What's that? What's, what's that? Bacon, lettuce, and tomatoes. I'll make that two of them, please. No Tom, mayonnaise. On, on toast, please. Yeah, quite. After placing their order, they start talking about diets. This conversation leads them to exchanging experiences with the primal scream therapy developed by Arthur Janov. In the 70s, this therapy is very popular. Schoenberger tried it for two weeks in New York. Lennon and Yoko Ono did it with Janov for a few months. The therapy led to the production and release of Lennon's first solo album after the Beatles' breakup, John Lennon Plastic Ono Band. In his interview with Schoenberger, Lennon laughs, remembering the consequences of his six months with Janov for his weight. He took the advice to let go of any self-control very seriously, he says, living on chocolate and Dr. Pepper. And it was all very well for the mind, but for the body it was terrible. <laughs> and, uh, and I wore the same clothes for two years. I had two, two things, that a jumpsuit, <laughs> one you get to do the plumbing in. Right. I had two of them. And that's what I wore for almost two years. Yeah. I mean, Janoff was an idiot, but he wasn't that bad. His therapy was good, it was just he was a pain yeah. in the neck. You know? mm. Over BLT sandwiches and coffee, Schoenberger and Lennon talk about crying and screaming in therapy. Then the reporter casually asks a very private question. Sex life, did that change while you were crying? Did you get conscious or did you feel happy? Without missing a beat, the music icon answers her question. No, because I was in the therapy with Yoko and we both got as fat as hell. And in the dark, it feels great. <laughs> More than 40 years later, Francis Schoenberger still thinks it is perfectly normal that Lennon answered her very private question without a second of hesitation. Usually, if you ask straightforward, you get a, a, an answer. It's hard for me to explain, but other people tell me that I, they always felt that I was sincere and that I wouldn't use or abuse that, you know. And um, it, it turned into wonderful conversations and sometimes even like a little therapy sessions, as some of them mentioned. There are only a few minutes left on Schoenberger's tape. At the counter of a little diner in Yonkers, nobody seems to recognize John Lennon, and only a few wonder who the guy with the British accent is. Nobody interrupts the interview, which has turned into a conversation. Being with you, it's not John Lennon I'm with, you know, suddenly you're a person. Yeah. I'm just some guy that, you know, did whatever. Right? John always see me as me, see. So I was always me all through it, mm -hmm. you know. And I'm, you want to give me the check, please? And, and one more copy. John Lennon asks for the check and pays. There's also a black and white picture of that. It shows a typical 70s diner, with sugar, ketchup, mustard, napkins, salt and pepper shakers on the counter, a man reading the paper at the far end, wood-paneled walls and a low ceiling. Lennon counts a few crumbled dollar notes onto the counter, a pack of cigarettes next to him, while the reporter is looking on. It is time for the photo shoot. The tape stops. It was, it was the best... Uh, it was the best experience in my career. Oh yes. He, to me, is the one I respected the most and he didn't give many interviews. And it was a great interview. Frances Schoenberger leans back into the chair in her light-filled living room. 
She's exhausted, but also glad she finally dared to listen to her recording. I enjoyed really to listen to him again, because I never did. I was too scared. I didn't want to. 40 years later, 75. But it seems like yesterday. I do remember the hotel room. I do remember when he came in. I do remember the view. No, it just makes me think because I interviewed many famous people and rock stars and, and whatever, and I uh, realize I was around a very interesting time, very interesting time. Uh, lucky, especially with John Lennon. This is Kerstin Zilm, reporting from Los Angeles. Wunderbar together. You've been listening to The Big Pod, a series of dialogues between Germans and Americans, coming to you from PRX and the Goethe Institute. <laughs>